0: Today on the Rogue Retirement Lounge, you're going to learn the difference between mutual funds and ETFs. This is investing 101 type stuff that you need to know. Welcome to the podcast where entrepreneurs go to learn about alternative retirement investing strategies and structures and all things related to planning a successful, prosperous retirement. If you're self-employed, if you're a gig worker or solopreneur, you've come to the right place to learn how to retire wealthier, retire sooner, and retire happier. This is the Rogue Retirement Lounge. So last week I revealed that according to Dave Ramsey, you're only allowed to invest in two things, mutual funds and real estate that you pay for in full. And I also shared with you that he prohibits investing in ETFs. So just to reiterate, that's a pretty stupid prohibition because ETFs are very similar to mutual funds. But just how similar are they? Well, today we are going to find out. First off, what exactly is an ETF? Okay, ETF stands for exchange-traded fund. And that's basically, It's an investment product that puts together money from investors like you and uses that money to buy a basket of securities like stocks, bonds, and the like. Okay. And you can buy and sell shares of an ETF exactly the same way you'd buy shares of a stock through a stock exchange, which is why they call it an exchange traded fund. Uh, If you have, uh, let's say you have ETrade, Vanguard, or a Schwab account, or any other brokerage accounts, you can buy an ETF today if you wanted to. ETFs are generally uh, index funds, okay, which means that they are essentially portfolios of stock or the like that are built. uh, The portfolios are basically built to um, track a market index, like say the S and P or a commodity. Um, So those funds that follow an index are what you would call passive investing because it doesn't require a lot of management or decision making. So like if it's a Russell two thousand ETF. Uh, The fund just buys stocks from the Russell 2000, and that's basically it. But on the other hand, there are more actively managed ETFs being introduced. So these actively managed funds, they have a a manager or a team of managers that try to outperform the market or a specific benchmark index by trying to pick winners. Um, These types of funds have higher fees because they got to pay the salaries of the dudes who manage the funds. And just so you know, over time, managed funds rarely end up beating passive index funds. So Just take that into consideration before you buy any fund. Um, Chances are you're going to do better with an index fund and you'll probably pay lower fees. Okay, so what's a mutual fund? Well, essentially, a mutual fund is an investment vehicle that collects money from investors, kind of like the ETFs, and uses that money to buy a basket of securities like stocks, bonds and the like. Sound familiar? Well, the, the the mutual fund, is, it, it is very similar to an ETF. The mutual fund issues shares or little slices of the fund and sells those shares to investors. And the big mutual fund companies that you've probably heard of are Vanguard, Fidelity, BlackRock, or Schwab. Okay, so now, generally speaking, mutual funds are often more actively managed than ETFs, but there's a ton of mutual funds that are index funds. Um, And with mutual funds, it's the same deal. Index funds are usually gonna have lower expense ratios than the actively managed funds. Okay, so they sound pretty much the same, right? So what are the differences? Well, one of the main differences is that an ETF is bought and sold just like a stock, meaning you can watch the price throughout the day, it'll change, Um, and if you wanna buy one at one o'clock at the current price it's trading at, you can. But with a mutual fund, that's gotta be purchased from the mutual fund company directly, and the price doesn't get set until the end of the day when the whole net asset value of the whole fund is calculated. Okay, so that's why, uh, if you look on your little stock app on your iPhone, if you track any mutual funds, the price does not change throughout the day. It just resets every night after the markets close. So another difference between ETFs and mutual funds is that you can buy a single share of an ETF, which can make it way cheaper to get started. Whereas with mutual funds, they have minimum investments, which can range from 500 bucks or a thousand bucks, which isn't terrible, to three or four grand, which starts to get a little painful. Um, And there are some outlier funds that I've seen that have minimums literally in the millions, okay? So, uh, and uh, full disclosure, I don't have any money invested in any of those. By now, uh, we know that there are three advantages to ETFs. There are lower minimum prices to get in and get started, um, number two, the fact that they're uh, they're on an exchange and you can see the basic real time price rather than waiting till the end of the business day, and generally lower fees. Okay, but there's another big advantage to ETFs if you own them in a post tax brokerage account, essentially that's not inside an IRA, and that's the tax benefits. Okay, so I was kind of debating whether or not I wanted to get into the details on this. And I just decided that it's too boring to dive into here. But here's a quick snippet from Fidelity about the tax implications, okay? ETFs can be more tax efficient compared to traditional mutual funds. Generally, holding an ETF in a taxable account will generate less tax liabilities than if you held a similarly structured mutual fund in the same account, end quote, okay? So from the viewpoint of the IRS, they see ETFs and mutual funds as pretty much the same, meaning both of them are subject to capital gains tax and the taxation of any dividend income that you would get off them. But ETFs are structured in a way that the taxes are minimized for the holder of the ETF and the final bill, which comes after the ETF is sold and capital gains are realized or incurred, that tax bill is less than what the investor would have paid with a similarly structured mutual fund. So if you wanna go deep into the tax differences, because there's some weird stuff about how like uh, mutual funds, when they get restructured uh, during the year, it can create taxable events for the actual fund holders. um, And this is super boring shit, but if you wanna get deeper into it, um, you can, but, let's just leave it at this. If you want to go deep into the tax differences, you can and you're welcome to. But if you're wanting to invest in post-tax dollars, meaning not inside an IRA, you should probably just consider ETFs. But remember, if you are in the Dave Ramsey cult, you are prohibited from investing in ETFs. You must call a smart pro, And buy mutual funds that they recommend with high expense ratios. You must not invest in ETFs. Okay, that's your basic rundown of ETFs versus mutual funds. So I I can't find it now, but last week I saw a, a post or an article somewhere about selling your house and renting when you retire. Now, if you Google something like rent versus own a home in retirement or something like that, there are you're going to find quite a few articles and blog posts out there about uh, the magic of renting instead of owning during retirement. They talk about freedom. They talk about the downsizing. They talk about not having to deal with the, the estate hassle of passing on your house to your heirs and basically the carefree life of a renter, not having to unclog your own toilet. And in most cases, these articles will say that you're going to pay less as a renter, okay? So this led me to dig a little bit further, and I got to tell you, if you read anything related to retirement planning, facts, and figures, surveys, or anything like that online, please read carefully. Read between the lines and check the facts. So one of the first things I found when I did my search yesterday was a 2016 Trulia article called, quote, best places for retirees to rent or buy. And actually it was a pretty interesting article, but it included this statement, quote, for retirees who are not concerned about leaving a home for their heirs to inherit, it makes more financial sense to rent than to buy in 98 of the 100 U.S. cities with the largest populations of people 65 and older. Um, and, a, and, and I did put a link to this article in the show notes. They go on to say that the reason that it makes more financial sense to rent than to buy in those 98 cities is this, quote, this is because the value of the equity in a home is a significant contributor to the financial benefits of home ownership." If we leave out this value because retirees don't care about it, the benefits of home ownership compared to renting fall. Now, who the fuck decided that leaving out home equity is a significant enough portion of the calculus to make home ownership less desirable than renting? Well, I'll tell you. The author of the article, the dude who was charged with doing the the surveys and reporting on it and whatnot, that is a guy named Ralph McLaughlin, who was truly a housing economist, then chief economist from 2014 through 2018. Ralph begins the article with this paragraph. Buying a retirement home is almost always cheaper than renting one, and traditional retirement communities offer some of the best deals, but the math changes substantially if retirees don't care to leave an inheritance. So the article goes on to show that all over the country, back when this article was published, the, it was on average 34.8% cheaper to buy. The widest margin was in New Orleans, where it was 52.3% cheaper to buy than to rent. And the narrowest margin in Honolulu had had it at 14.4% cheaper to buy than to rent. I know that I'm overreacting here, but my blood was fucking boiling when I read this article. So this writer has the balls in one paragraph to tell you that it's an average of over 30% cheaper to buy than to rent. But somehow that benefit evaporates if you don't want to leave your home to your kids. And of course, There's no example numbers backing up the position, just a methodology statement that includes this brief rundown. Okay, I'm quoting this from their methodology statement. It says, we use our quality adjusted measure of home prices and rents, which allows an apples to apples comparison between rental and owner occupied housing units. We looked at median home value and rent in March 2016 in each of the largest 100 metros. We calculate the initial total monthly costs of owning and renting, including mortgage payments, maintenance, insurance, and taxes. We calculate the future total monthly costs of owning and renting, taking into account expected price and rent appreciation, as well as projected inflation. Okay. So I've not seen the actual numbers in all the cities, but let me just say this. If you retire, how long do you think you're going to live? Okay. 20 years, 30 years, 35, well, obviously it depends on a lot of factors, how old you are when you retire, how healthy you are, on and on and on. But let's just pretend you're like me around 50, okay? Say you're about 10 years from retiring and you buy a house today, okay? So let's say you're going to buy it in a city uh, where your mortgage is $2,000, Uh, an average rent for the same house would be exactly the same at $2,000. Well, as of now, it would be cheaper to rent because you might have to put 20% down. You know, you've got maintenance expenses and whatnot. And if you don't have heirs, according to this article, you don't care about equity, so you'd be better off renting, okay? Well, let's fast forward 10 years to that first month when you retire. You're gonna spend $2,000 a month on your mortgage but rents will have been going up for the last 10 years. So let's just say, let's put the annual rent increase at 3%, okay? And that's definitely low low average in most major MSAs, but let's just use that number to make my point. So if you were renting in that first month of retirement, your rent would be around 2,680 bucks now, okay? So then after 10 years of retirement, if you purchased your home, your payment would still be locked in at $2,000. It might be up slightly as your property taxes increase, so let's pretend it's now $2,200 a month, okay? But if you rented 10 years into your retirement, that rent would now be up to $3,600, okay? So you get my point. Average lifespan is increasing, and the longer you live, if you're renting, the more it's gonna cost you to keep that roof over your head. Okay. And then let's just carry this to the end. Okay. So let's say you've been retired now for 20 years. And again, if you bought that house 10 years before you retired, your house would now be paid off. Okay. So you'd be sitting on between probably a half a million and a million dollar house uh, and fully paid off. You'd have no mortgage payments. So your monthly nut would maybe be what five or six hundred dollars for property taxes, insurance, and repairs, et cetera. So at this point, if you'd taken the advice of that clown who wrote this article and rented, because it's quote, cheaper to rent if you don't care about leaving your home to your kids, your rent would be up to forty eight hundred and fifty dollars. Again, that's only assuming a 3% average increase in rent. So I have two points here. I would challenge anyone to come up with a scenario in the US or Canada where it makes more sense to rent versus buy in the long term. And then my other point is never take financial articles like this, regardless of where you read them at face value. Run your own numbers, challenge their assertions, um, you know, send the article to me. If, if you don't want to do the analysis, I love this shit, I'll... I'll go over it for you and, and, you know, give you my opinion anyway. And the, you know, and and then the other thing, the other elephant in the room here is that let's say you're 20 years in your house isn't paid for, but you have some kind of an event, you have a health event and you need all of a sudden you need a hundred grand or so you could refinance that house by then, you know, and pull out cash, because you've got that bank account of the equity. So again, that article is stupid and um, and uh, full stop. Okay, so that's it for today. Um, I hope it was helpful, the, the ETF mutual fund thing. Uh, you know, that's basic stuff. You know, you may have known this already, but a lot of people don't. So I'm going to... Keep doing these types of things here and there, Just especially when I see goofy stuff like Dave Ramsey prohibiting you from buying ETFs. Anyway, thanks so much. And I'll be back uh, with you on Friday with some news. And in the meantime, uh, crypto, look at it. Uh, uh, Bitcoin was up past 40,000. Um, a whole bunch of people sold. It came back down. Um I, uh, I, I, I put in a little bit more today. Um, it's, it's pretty fun to watch. Okay. I'll uh, talk to you Friday. Bye. Nothing in this podcast is meant to be financial legal or tax advice, though. There's some kick-ass information here. It's for informational purposes only. Take control of your retirement planning, but get professional counsel if you need tax, legal, or financial advice. For more content like this, join my mailing list at rogueretirementlounge.com. And if you have questions about retirement investing, entrepreneurship, business, or anything else, my email address is matt at rogueretirementlounge.com.